We are in a new sermon series through the book of Ephesians uh, titled New Nature, New Community. When we believe in Christ Jesus, God gives us a new nature and he places us in a new community. And so as I was kind of preparing through today's sermon, I began to kind of understand and, and sense that the timing of the series in, in God's plan is, is quite uh, uh, helpful because there are quite a few of us who are new to New City. So it's quite helpful uh, for those of us who are new to, to get to understand and explore God's design for the church community. And it's not just for new people, for those of us who, even for those of us who have been part of New City from the very beginning, uh, it's good for us to reflect once more on God's design for the church. Uh, we are now uh, in the ninth uh, of the sermon series, ninth sermon in the series. All of the previous eight sermons on the book of Ephesians are available online uh, on, on you know, pretty much every medium. So if you'd like, you can check that out here. Um, we worked our way through the sermon series till the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to look at verses 25 on to 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. I've requested Varsha to read the passage out for us. She's going to come on up. And... Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Varsha. This is the word of the Lord indeed. Um, quite obviously, the most central and the most intriguing verse in this passage is verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, deep inside, deep, deep, deep inside, every pastor has a small secret desire to scare the congregation to good behavior. Uh, fear works well. It doesn't last very long, but it works well. And, and every pastor at some point of time is tempted to use fear to bring about transformation. And so if a pastor wanted to use fear to get people to be good disciples of Jesus... This is a good verse to misuse. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit or else 
you don't even have to preach the sermon. You can just leave people to their own imagination and the imagination can, can fill, the back, fill the gap. So I, I can assure you, that is not what I want to do. I have to confess, a secret desire does exist. I'm kind of battling it. Uh, but that's not what I want to do this morning. What I want to do this morning is to preach the fullness of the gospel of grace of Christ Jesus through this verse which says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. At New City Church, we keep saying we are a gospel-centered church. We are a gospel-centered church, a gospel-centered. You know, everything we add, gospel-centered, gospel-centered community, you know, gospel-centered fellowship, gospel-centered discipleship. We keep saying we're gospel-centered, gospel-centered, gospel-centered. What does that really mean? It means many things, but one of the things it means is that we do not use fear or the threat of punishment or legalism to bring about transformation. To be gospel-centered means to depend entirely on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring about real, deep, and lasting heart transformation. So we're going to unpack this this verse this morning, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. But before I do that, I want to talk to people, if this is your very first time in a church, and you've never listened to a sermon before, you've never sung all of those songs before, let me first address the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Notice my question, I said, who is the Holy Spirit? I did not say, what is the Holy Spirit? So first, the Holy Spirit is not an abstract power. He is a divine person. The Bible teaches us that God is a trinity. God is one being, yet there are three persons. The Father, the Son, who is Christ Jesus, and the third person we are talking about today, the Holy Spirit. There is one and only one true living God. And this one God eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, Perhaps this is the most glorious mystery of the Christian faith. Uh, The word Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible. But all through the Bible there are references, direct and indirect, to the triune God. Look at this verse, for example, from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is God the Son, and the love of God, that is God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, be with you all. And in God's sovereign design, the Trinity, though always working together, each member of the Trinity performs a unique role in our salvation. God the Father conceived the plan of salvation. He wanted to redeem a broken, sinful world. His son, Christ Jesus, he obeyed and executed God's plan of salvation by dying on the cross, bearing the punishment for our sins and rising again from the dead. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, applies the finished work of Christ in our hearts 
for our salvation. So the work of the Holy Spirit is he takes what Jesus accomplished over 2,000 years ago and he brings it to bear upon our heart, regenerating us, bringing us to faith in Christ Jesus. So it is the Holy Spirit. We believe that it is not a choice we make, but it is the Holy Spirit who enables us and empowers us to come to faith in Christ Jesus. He leads us to faith in Christ Jesus. And once we believe in Jesus, through his help, he dwells in us. And as we've been seeing in the book of Ephesians, he dwells in us individually and he dwells in us together as a community. So if this is your very first time in a church, we'd like you to take a moment to consider what God, what the God of the Bible is offering you. First, the God of the Bible offers his son, Christ Jesus, as a sacrifice to atone for every one of your sins and mine. He gave his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice. And not just that, when we come to faith in Jesus, he sends his Holy Spirit to live in us. So I did want to take a minute uh, if this is your very first time in a church, I don't want to assume you knew who the Holy Spirit was. So I just wanted to take a minute uh, to explain that out for us. As I said, the key verse in this passage uh, wants us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And so I'd like to draw three things out for us. First, the real cause for God's grief. Second, our great assurance even in God's grief and third, the real nature of God's grief. Three things. The real cause for God's grief, our great assurance even in God's grief, and the real nature of God's grief. Let's look at the first thing, the real cause for God's grief. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, I'm sure we all have uh, 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 some basic idea uh, about this whole aspect of grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm sure this is not really new to us. I'm sure we've heard about it. But we all tend to assume, I suspect, that the Holy Spirit, that grieving the Holy Spirit is all about our sins as individuals. Uh, we, we assume that grieving the Holy Spirit is kind of connected with the really big, bad, and, and ugly sins. You know, the sins of pornography or sins that are sexual in nature. So we kind of set aside grieving the Holy Spirit for those big, bad, ugly sins. You know, we assume that we grieve the Holy Spirit when we do the big, bad sins. Well, this is true. The Holy Spirit is grieved uh, by the big, bad sins. Uh, but we tend to forget that our sins as individuals, as isolated individuals, is not the only thing that grieves the Holy Spirit. In fact, the passage we're looking at today is not talking about sins as isolated individuals. This passage is all about how our sins in the community of the local church, how our sins against one another grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 25 in the passage we read talks about lying to one another. Verse 26 refers to sinning in our anger towards one another and allowing the sun to go down without settling the anger. 
Verse 29 talks about the sin of corrupt talk that tears down people rather than build them up. And then verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then verse 31 talks about bitterness and wrath and anger and malice. And verse 32 says, be kind to one another. And so this warning of do not grieve the Holy Spirit is sandwiched in the middle of a whole bunch of ways in which all of us, without exception, myself first, sin against one another. And this key idea is captured for us in verse 25, which says, Therefore put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members one of another. We're not just members of Jesus Christ, which we are, but the Bible says we are also members of one another. We not only belong to Jesus, but as his local church, as disciples of Christ, we belong to one another. And the Holy Spirit dwells in each of us individually. And as we've been saying in the book of Ephesians, the Holy Spirit dwells in the space of the relationship between us. And so he is grieved when we sin against one another. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we are not kind and gentle to one another. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we do not forgive one another. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we scream at one another in an anger. I can assure you we never do that in church, but doesn't it happen in our homes, at least occasionally? Husbands, wives, parents, children are screaming at one another, grieves the Holy Spirit. Gossip and malicious talk grieves the Holy Spirit. Lying to one another grieves the Holy Spirit. You know, when, when we walked in this morning, if I had stood there at the door and asked everyone, have you grieved the Holy Spirit this week? Have you grieved the Holy Spirit this week? You know, most of us without a moment's hesitation would have said no. Let me ask us, let me invite us to reconsider that question. In the light of the way we've defined grieving the Holy Spirit, how do we fare? Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he said this. He said, it is very, very easy indeed to grieve the Holy Spirit. Sin is as easy as it is wicked. So it's not just a few rare big, bad, ugly sins that grieve the Holy Spirit, isolated, individual sins that grieve the Holy Spirit. But all sins, small or big, especially sins against one another in the gospel community, grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's the first thing I wanted to draw for us from the passage. The true nature of God's grief. Guard the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who comes to make his home in us. The song we sung, Christ our treasure. And, and the Holy Spirit our treasure is dwelling in our fragile, broken, sinful selves. He experiences grief when we sin. The heart of God grieves when we sin. 
when we sin. It's not only the big bad sins in isolation, but a million small ways in which we sin against one another in community. That's the first thing, the true nature, the true cause for God's grief. The second thing I wanted to draw from the passage is our great assurance even in God's grief. Our great assurance even as we grieve God through our sinfulness. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. As I said, you know, we could make this to be one of the scariest verses in the Bible. And I would even venture out to say that how well we understand this verse is the true test of how well we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. How well we understand this phrase, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, is a good test of how well we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Early in my life as a believer, I was afraid that if I sin badly and grieve the Holy Spirit, he's going to leave me and go away. And I'm going to lose my salvation. I'm going to be lost once again. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit or else the, the consequences. Um, and I was, you know, in my early life as a believer, uh, not that I'm much better off. I still struggle. I would really struggle with a lot of sinfulness. And, and I would really be scared and fear would motivate me. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit or else. Hang on. Let's look, what, what is this verse really saying? Where did that fear come from? What is this verse really saying? You know, if you read this verse as uh, what most people actually believe this verse to be saying, we would read this verse as, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If you grieve him too much, he will leave you and you will lose your salvation. That's what we assume, do we not? Somewhere deep inside but that's not what this verse is saying. Look at what this verse is saying. Do you realize that this verse is actually saying the opposite of what we are assuming and probably even believing? Let me read that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This verse is saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he will never leave you. This verse is saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he is the seal of your redemption in Christ Jesus. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He has sealed you. The Spirit himself is the seal of our redemption till the day of redemption. So what this verse is saying, this verse is not saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he will go away. This verse is actually saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he will never go away. How can we grieve a God who will never abandon us even in the worst moment of our sinfulness? When God takes a stance 
and says, no matter how badly you sin, because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, I will live in you by my Holy Spirit. When God takes a stance of commitment like that, of unconditional love like that, how can we go on sinning and grieving the Holy Spirit? This verse is so profound. This verse is not saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit or he will go away. No, 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 no. This verse is saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit because how much ever you grieve him, he is going to stay with you. He is committed to you. A holy God is committed to us because he is the seal of our redemption. This idea of the Holy Spirit being the seal is a theme that runs across the book of Ephesians. We saw that, if you remember, in one of the earlier sermons, Ephesians chapter 1. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So seal, the the idea of being sealed by the Holy Spirit, the first biblical idea that's given to us is that it's a guarantee. It's like a down payment of what is to come. And there are two more ideas, biblical ideas of this, this whole idea of being sealed by the Holy Spirit. They, they mean these biblical ideas are authenticity and ownership. Authenticity is when a king in, in the Old Testament or anywhere writes a letter, he would put a seal on the letter. And that seal authenticates the letter. So the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit authenticates our faith in Jesus. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, the seal of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, cries out, his faith in Jesus is real. Her faith in Jesus is real. So that's authenticity. The second is is ownership. The second idea communicated by us being sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption is ownership. You know, cattle is branded. You know, they put a seal on cattle. Because when you put a seal on cattle, everybody knows this cattle belongs to this person. So the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit, communicates to us and to the spiritual realm and to the world that we belong to Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So this verse is not saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he will go away. This verse is saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he will never, never go away. This has such deep implications for our daily walk with Christ Jesus. This assurance of salvation, this assurance of God's love for us because of the finished work of Christ on the cross is the basis for our sanctification. This is the basis for our transformation. As Felix was sharing, we do not strive to be better people. The grace of God empowers us to be better people. If you look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. What is your greatest weakness? What is my greatest weakness? What is humanity's greatest weakness? It is sin. 
When the Bible says the Holy Spirit helps us in your weakness, the Bible is communicating, God is communicating to us that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, in every weakness of sin. The Holy Spirit did not come to take his residency in us, only to abandon us in the weak moments of our sinfulness. No, not at all. By the finished work of Christ on the cross, by the fullness of atonement for every one of our sins that Christ already purchased on the cross, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us to help us in the weakest, in the darkest moments of our sinfulness. There are two schools of thought among Christians. Um, One school of thought is that you can lose your salvation. Another school of thought is that if you're really saved, if, if your salvation is truly the work of regeneration of the Holy Spirit, you can never lose your salvation. As a church family, we believe in the second. We believe that if God has indeed saved us, if God has indeed sealed us, by his Holy Spirit, we can never lose our salvation. You know, when a good man says something, we, we count his words as worthy. Right? When God says, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, it counts for something. It means what it says. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Again, this is not a license to sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a license to sin. If we take this as a license to keep on sinning, then I have to ask us the question, are we really saved? Has the Holy Spirit truly regenerated us? I'm not saying believers will never sin. I'm saying every time we sin, we, 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 we experience by the Spirit the desire to repent, believe in Christ Jesus, and be transformed how can we grieve him deliberately intentionally if he is so committed to us it is this love of god that empowers us to overcome our sinfulness you know fear is a very powerful motivator in all world religions all world religions The Indian religious construct is also that God will punish you if you're not good. Uh, I I grew up not in a Christian home. I I grew up in a Hindu Brahmin family. And I was thinking, what was the first thing I was taught about God in my upbringing? What is the first thing my parents and my elders taught me about God? The first thing that I was taught about God, my earlier recollection of God is that if you're not good, God will poke your eyes. That's a Tamar. I mean, I, that's language we grew up in. Uh, m- many of us may not understand Tamar, so I won't repeat that in Tamar. Basically, the idea was, if you're not good, God will punish you. So my idea of God growing up is someone who's waiting to punish you. It's someone who, who finds joy in punishing. Someone like, like the school monitor, you know, or the school teacher, you know, you're one of those not-so-helpful not teachers who's constantly looking to punish. So my idea of God was shaped If I'm not good, God's going to punish me. So my basic desire to be good is not out of the intrinsic desire to be good, but to avoid punishment. 
all religions and sadly even Christianity, if we miss the heart of the gospel, is about fear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit or else fear. The gospel is not about fear. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about God's extravagant love for us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he will never leave us. Those of us who know the Bible, you're probably kind of cross-referencing to the Old Testament. And you're wondering, well, Samson, uh, the Holy Spirit went and came and went. Uh, David in Psalm 51 prays, uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So what about that? The nature of ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is very different from the nature of the ministry in the Old Testament. Because of what Christ did on the cross, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and up to the, going up to the Father, and from the Father sending his Holy Spirit to fill us, as he promised us and his disciples. Because of all that, the ministry of the Holy Spirit has changed. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come, empower people, and move. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is a seal upon every single person who believes in Jesus. A seal for the, for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he will never leave you. He is the seal of redemption. And that brings us to the third and the last thing I wanted to draw from this passage, specifically from this verse, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is an incredibly rich verse. And this verse really tests Our understanding of the gospel, as I've been saying. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you realize what this verse is saying? You know, if we think in a normal, fleshly, fear-oriented, merely religious perspective, what word would you use? Is the word grieve that you would... I mean, imagine you're trying to help someone who's not doing too well in his walk with Jesus or someone who's not doing too well in her walk with Jesus. What what would you tell? Our, Our natural, sinful, fleshly, religious thinking, we would say, do not anger the Holy Spirit. Would we not? Do not anger the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes it's really helpful... To pay equal attention to what the Bible is not saying as much as we pay attention to what the Bible is saying. The Bible is not saying, do not anger the Holy Spirit. The Bible is saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the implications of this? Do you realize what this means? The Bible never says, do not make the Holy Spirit angry because the Holy Spirit will never get angry with us for our sinfulness. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he will only grieve in our sinfulness. He will mourn, he will weep 
his heart will be pained at our sinfulness again and again and again, but he will never get angry with us for our sinfulness. He will never get angry with us for our sinfulness because when Christ Jesus died on the cross, bearing the punishment for every one of your sins and mine, the anger of God, the just, furious, holy wrath of God was fully satisfied. There was no more anger left for our sins because all the full righteous anger of God was poured out on Christ Jesus who died as our substitute, paid in full. The Bible says do not quench the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. But the Bible never says do not anger the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never be angry at our sins. But oh, will he grieve how much he will grieve when he sees every one of us without exception, myself first, taking lightly the costly sacrifice of Jesus. When he sees the indifference in our hearts as we give ourselves to the pursuit of other treasures over and above the treasure of Christ, will he not grieve? You know grief. Every one of us, we experience grief. You know the grief when a loved one betrays you. You know grief when someone dear to you lets you down. You know that grief. You know the pain in your heart. And we who are so sinful and so faulty and so flawed and so full of holes, we feel so much righteous grief. How much will the Holy Spirit be grieving every time we are indifferent to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the beauty. He's never going to get angry. He's going to grieve. That is the gospel of grace. Listen, this is, this is beautiful. This is important. Anger drives two people apart. Grief brings two people together. Grief draws people together. If you're angry, imagine, imagine you're angry with a friend. Imagine you're, you're angry with a family member or a colleague. When we are angry with someone, we distance ourselves from that person and we judge that person. Am I right? When we are angry with someone, we distance ourselves from that person and we judge that person. When we grieve, experience grief, when we are grieving for a person, we draw closer to that person and comfort that person. You see the difference between the stance of anger and the stance of grief. The stance of anger distances and judges. The stance of grief draws closer and comforts. So when the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, implicit in that is that he grieves because of our sinfulness but never abandons us. He draws us closer because the Holy Spirit feels only grief, no anger at our sin, he always draws closer and comforts us in our every weakness of sin. 
this this words do not grieve the holy spirit should not scare us it should melt our hearts because in the grief of the holy spirit is also the assurance that the holy spirit will never be angry with us the primary ministry of the holy spirit is to exalt christ jesus in our hearts and in the church and and no way the holy spirit will dwell in us apart from what christ has done he is in us he is so committed never to be angry with us because of the finished work christ on the cross so when the holy spirit comes to dwell in us through the finished work of christ on the cross there is no way we can drive him away by our sinfulness if our faith in jesus is indeed real only god is a judge of that if our faith in jesus is indeed real the spirit of god will never abandon us i do need to clarify something lest i be misunderstood i don't want anyone to use this as a license to sin this is not hypocrisy so let me clarify the i'm saying the holy spirit will never be angry with us because our sins have already been punished on the body of christ jesus i am saying that the holy spirit will never punish us because christ has already been punished on our behalf i am saying that the holy spirit will never leave us because jesus promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us but i am not saying that the holy spirit will not discipline us in love see punishment angry punishment and loving discipline are two very different things the spirit of god in his grief will lovingly discipline us and the discipline can take so many forms he can take discipline god's discipline can come in the loving rebuke of a member of the church god's discipline can come to us through circumstances which work against us and force us to humble ourselves and come to repentance and come back to god god's rebuke god's loving discipline can come to us when the idols that we pursue more than we pursue christ jesus disappoint us god the holy spirit in his grief over our sin will lovingly discipline us but unlike parents who just you know went out and i'm guilty of that i've been guilty of that who went out their frustration and anger against their children that's not the discipline of god the discipline of god is considered it's loving it's gentle it's for our good there is no anger loving discipline yes i want to close with a couple of couple of illustrations you see a picture of of a father holding the son of a hand uh, uh, the hand of his son in the beach imagine this this father and son walk into the beach and uh, the waves are hitting they're enjoying the beach the waves come one after the other after the other with the waves the waves hit them the son the child there is thinking he's safe because he is holding to the father's hands in his strength isn't that what the child's going to assume the child's going to assume he is holding to the father in his strength i mean 3 year old child how much strength does he have he has no chance with the waves if it is only the strength of the child that is holding on to the father this child has no chance against even one rough wave 
the son, the child thinks he is holding on to the father's hand. But the reality is the father is holding on to the child's hand. When the father is holding on to the child's hand, no way was strong enough to separate them. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. We think... We are holding the Holy Spirit by our good behavior. He's happy with us, so he stays in us. Tomorrow he's not happy with us. He's going to find some other home. That's what we think. That's not the truth. He is there because of the strength of the Father in sacrificing his son Christ Jesus as the ultimate, full, and complete sacrifice for every one of your sins and mine. There is only one way the Holy Spirit will leave us. Only one way. The only way for the Holy Spirit to leave us would be for Christ to be pulled down, for the ascended Christ to be pulled down from heaven and laid to rest dead back in the grave. Only if when that happens, only if that happens, will the Holy Spirit leave us. You see, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us because the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, was punished to death on a cross, bearing the punishment for your sin and mine. And when the punishment was fully done, when God's wrath and anger was satisfied, just and righteous wrath and anger was satisfied, the Son of God rose again from the dead, and he went up to heaven, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right-hand side of God, and as promised, He promised when he would go up to the Father, he would send the Holy Spirit to live in us that we might not live as orphans. The Holy Spirit is living in us only because all of this has happened, not because of what you've done and what I've done. So the only way the Holy Spirit will leave us is if the Son of God, if the ascended Son of God is dragged back down from heaven, laid to rest dead in a grave, only if that happens will the Spirit of God Leave us. This is the extent of God's love and commitment to us because of the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. If this is how much God is committed to us, how should we respond? And so this morning as I close this in prayer, would you join me in begging God for grace, not to be indifferent to Jesus, but to love him, to cherish him, to serve him, and to live in a manner, as we saw last week, that is worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. If this is your first time in a church, if, if you're kind of what we would call an explorer, someone who doesn't yet believe in Jesus, but, but you're interested in Jesus, you're curious in Jesus, Maybe you've come to a few, few times to church. You enjoy worship. You enjoy community. Maybe you even find the word, the sermon helpful. This is who Jesus is. This is the commitment he is making to you. Would you like to receive this commitment today? Or do you want to reject this commitment today? If you want to make that commitment today, would you pray with me as I pray for all of us? Father, we feel so frail. That picture, Lord, of a small little child holding on to his father's hands in the rough seas. That's how we truly are. All our good intentions, all our good behavior, all our good works are never enough to hold on to you. 
Only your perfect work through your son Christ Jesus is good enough to hold us, Lord. So with arms open wide, we beg you, Lord, forgive us for our indifference. Forgive us for our unfaithfulness. And by your grace, by your grace, O Lord, draw us closer to you and help us, Lord, to never grieve the Holy Spirit because he is the seal. He is the seal or he himself is a seal upon us until the day of redemption. So help us, Lord. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Even now, Lord, yes, Lord, we, we open our hearts. We open our hearts, Lord, and cry out to you. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.